Chapter 40 of Can You Forgive Her? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sage Turtle. Can You Forgive Her? by Anthony Trollope. Chapter 40. Mrs. Greenow's Little Dinner in the Clothes. How deep and cunning are the wiles of love! When that Saturday morning arrived, not a word was said by Cheesacre to his rival as to his plans for the day. "'You'll take the dog-cart in?' Captain Belfield had asked overnight. "'I don't know what I shall do as yet,' replied he, who was master of the house of the dog-cart, and, as he fondly thought, of the situation. But Belfield knew that Cheesacre must take the dog-cart, and was contented. His friend would leave him behind, if it were possible, but Belfield would take care that it should not be possible. Before breakfast, Mr. Cheesacre surreptitiously carried out into the yard a bag containing all his apparatus for dressing, his marrow oil for his hair, his shirt with the wondrous worked front upon an understratum of pink to give it color, his shiny boots, and all the rest of the paraphernalia. When dining in Norwich on ordinary occasions, he simply washed his hands there, trusting to the chambermaid at the inn to find him a comb. And now he came down with his bag surreptitiously, and hid it away in the back of the dog-cart with secret, but alas, not unobserved, hands, hoping that Belfield would forget his toilet. But when did such a captain ever forget his outward man? Cheesacre, as he returned through the kitchen from the yard into the front hall, perceived another bag lying near the door, apparently filled almost as well as his own. "'What the deuce are you going to do with all this luggage?' said he, giving the bag a kick. "'Put it where I saw you putting yours when I opened my window just now,' said Belfield. "'Damn the window!' exclaimed Cheesacre, and then they sat down to breakfast. "'How you do hack that ham about!' he said. If you ever found hams yourself, you'd be more particular in cutting them. This was very bad. Even Belfield could not bear it with equanimity, and, feeling unable to eat the ham under such circumstances, made his breakfast with a couple of fresh eggs. If you didn't mean to eat the meat, why the mischief did you cut it? said Cheesacre. Upon my word, Cheesacre, you're too bad. Upon my word, you are, said Belfield, almost sobbing. What's the matter now? said the other. Who wants your ham? You do, I suppose, or you wouldn't cut it. No, I don't, nor anything else either that you've got. It isn't fair to ask a fellow into your house and then say such things to him as that. And it isn't what I've been accustomed to either. I can tell you that, Mr. Cheesacre. Oh, bother. It's all very well to say bother, but I choose to be treated like a gentleman wherever I go. You and I have known each other a long time, and I'd put up with more from you than from anyone else, but— Can you pay me the money that you owe me, Belfield? said Cheesacre, looking hard at him. No, I can't, said Belfield. Not immediately. Then eat your breakfast and hold your tongue. After that, Captain Belfield did eat his breakfast, leaving the ham, however, untouched, and did hold his tongue, vowing vengeance in his heart. But the two men went into Norwich more amicably together than they would have done had there been no words between them. Cheesacre felt that he had trespassed a little, and therefore offered the captain a cigar as he seated himself in the cart. Belfield accepted the offering and smoked the weed of peace. Now, said Cheesacre, as he drove into the swan yard, what do you mean to do with yourself all day? 
I shall go down to the quarters and look the fellows up. All right, but mind this, Belfield, it's an understood thing that you're not to be in the clothes before four. I won't be in the clothes before four. Very well, that's understood. If you deceive me, I'll not drive you back to Oileymead tonight. In this instance, Captain Belfield had no intention to deceive. He did not think it probable that he could do himself any good by philandering about the widow early in the day. She would be engaged with her dinner and with an early toilet. Captain Belfield, moreover, had learned from experience that the first comer has not always an advantage in ladies' society. The mind of a woman is greedy after novelty, and it is upon the stranger, or upon the most strange, of her slaves around her that she often smiles the sweetest. The cathedral clock, therefore, had struck four before Captain Belfield rang Mrs. Greenow's bell, and then, when he was shown into the drawing-room, he found Cheesacre there alone, redolent with the marrow-oil and beautiful with the pink bosom. "'Haven't you seen her yet?' asked the captain in almost a whisper. "'No,' said Cheesacre sulkily. "'Nor yet, Charlie Fairstairs?' "'I've seen nobody.' said cheesacre but at this moment he was compelled to swallow his anger as mrs greenow accompanied by her lady guest came into the room whoever would have expected two gentlemen to be so punctual said she especially on market day market day makes no difference when i come to see you said cheesacre putting his best foot forward while captain belfield contented himself with saying something civil to charlie he would bide his time and ride a waiting race the widow was almost gorgeous in her weeds. I believe that she had not sinned in her dress against any of those canons which the semi-ecclesiastical authorities on widowhood have laid down as to the outward garments fitted for gentlemen's relics. The materials were those which are devoted to the deepest conjugal grief. As regarded every item of the written law, her settee worship was carried out to the letter there was the widow's cap generally so hideous so well known to the eyes of all men so odious to womanhood let us hope that such headgear may have some assuaging effect on the departed spirits of husbands there was the dress of deep clinging melancholy crape of crape which becomes so brown and so rusty and which makes the six months widow seem so much more afflicted a creature than she whose husband is just gone and whose crape is therefore new there were the trailing weepers and the widow's kerchief pinned close around her neck and somewhat tightly over her bosom but there was that of genius about mrs greenow that she had turned every seeming disadvantage to some special profit and had so dressed herself that though she had obeyed the law to the letter she had thrown the spirit of it to the winds her cap sat jauntily on her head and showed just so much of her rich brown hairs to give her the appearance of youth to which she desired cheesacre had blamed her in his heart for her private carriage but she spent more money i think on new crape than she did on her brougham it never became brown and rusty with her, or formed itself into old lumpy folds, or shaped itself around her like a grave cloth. The written law had not interdicted crinoline, and she loomed as large with weeds which with her were not sombre, as she would do with her silks when the period of her probation should be over. 
her weepers were bright with newness and she would waft them aside from her shoulder with an air which turned them even into auxiliaries her kerchief was fastened close round her neck and close over her bosom but jeanette well knew what she was doing as she fastened it and so did jeanette's mistress mrs greenow would still talk much about her husband declaring that her loss was as fresh to her wounded heart as though he on whom all her happiness had rested had left her only yesterday but yet she mistook her days frequently referring to the melancholy circumstance as having taken place fifteen months ago in truth however mr greenow had been alive within the last nine months as everybody around her knew but if she chose to forget the exact day why should her friends or dependents remind her of it no friend or dependent did remind her of it and charlie farstairs spoke of the fifteen months with bold confidence false-tongued little parasite that she was looking well said the widow in answer to some outspoken compliment from mr cheesacre yes i'm well enough in health and i suppose i ought to be thankful that it is so but if you had buried a wife whom you had loved within the last eighteen months you would have become as indifferent as i am to all that kind of thing i never was married yet said mr cheesacre and therefore you know nothing about it everything in the world is gay and fresh to you if i were you mr cheesacre i would not run the risk it is hardly worth a woman's while and i suppose not a man's the sufferings are too great whereupon she pressed her handkerchief to her eyes but i mean to try all the same said cheesacre looking the lover all over as he gazed into the fair one's face i hope that you may be successful mr cheesacre and that she may not be torn away from you early in life <gasps> is dinner ready jeanette that's well mr cheesacre will you give your arm to miss fairstairs there was no doubt as to mrs greenow's correctness as captain belfield held or had held her majesty's commission he was clearly entitled to take the mistress of the festival down to dinner but cheesacre would not look at it in this light he would only remember that he had paid for the captain's food for some time past that the captain had been brought into norwich in his gig that the captain owed him money and ought so to say to be regarded as his property on this occasion i pay my way and that ought to give a man higher station than being a beggarly captain which i don't believe he is if all the truth was known it was thus that he took an occasion to express himself to miss fairstairs on that very evening military rank is always recognized miss fairstairs had replied taking mr cheesacre's remarks as a direct slight upon herself he had taken her down to dinner and then come to her complaining that he had been injured in being called upon to do so if you were a magistrate mr cheesacre you would have rank but i believe you are not charlie fairstairs knew well what she was about mr cheesacre had striven much to get his name put upon the commission of the peace but had failed nasty scraggy old cat cheesacre said to himself as he turned away from her but belfield gained little by taking the widow down he and cheesacre were placed at the top and bottom of the table so that they might do the work of carving and the ladies sat at the sides mrs greenow's hospitality was very good the dinner was exactly what a dinner ought to be for four persons there was soup fish a cutlet a roast fowl and some game jeanette waited at table nimbly and the thing could not have been done better mrs greenow's appetite was not injured by her grief and she so far repressed for the time all remembrance of her sorrow as to enable her to play the kind hostess to perfection 
Under her immediate eye, Cheesacre was forced into apparent cordiality with his friend Belfield, and the captain himself took the good things which the gods provided with thankful good humour. Nothing, however, was done at the dinner-table. No work got itself accomplished. The widow was so accurately fair in the adjustment of her favours that even Jeanette could not perceive to which of the two she turned with the amplest smile. She talked herself and made the others talk till Cheesacre became almost comfortable in spite of his jealousy. And now, she said as she got up to leave the room when she had taken her own glass of wine, we will allow these two gentlemen just half an hour eh charlie and then we shall expect them upstairs ten minutes will be enough for us here said cheesacre who was in a hurry to utilize his time half an hour said mrs greenow not without some little tone of command in her voice ten minutes might be enough for mr cheesacre but ten minutes was not enough for her belfield had opened the door and it was upon him that the widow's eye glanced as she left the room cheesacre saw it and resolved to resent the injury i'll tell you what it is belfield he said as he sat down moodily over the fire i won't have you coming here at all till this matter is settled till what matter is settled said belfield filling his glass you know what matter i mean you take such a deuce of a time about it no i don't i take as little time as anybody could that other fellow has only been dead about nine months and i've got the thing in excellent training already and what harm do i do you disturb me and you disturb her you do it on purpose do you suppose i can't see i'll tell you what now if you'll go clean out of norwich for a month i'll lend you two hundred pounds on the day she becomes mrs cheesacre and where am i to go to you may stay at oily meat if you like that is on condition that you do stay there and he's told that i hack the ham because it's not my own shall i tell you a piece of my mind cheesacre what do you mean that woman has no more idea of marrying you than she has of marrying the bishop won't you fill your glass old fellow i know where the tap is if you want another bottle you may as well give it up and spend no more money on pink fronts and polished boots on her account you're a podgy man you see and mrs greenow doesn't like podgy men cheesacre sat looking at him with his mouth open dumb with surprise and almost paralyzed with impotent anger what had happened during the last few hours to change so entirely the tone of his dependent captain could it be that belfield had been there during the morning and that she had accepted him you are very podgy cheesacre belfield continued and then you so often smell of the farmyard and you talk too much of your money and your property you'd have had a better chance if you had openly talked to her of hers as i have done as it is you haven't any chance at all belfield as he spoke thus to the man opposite to him went on drinking his wine comfortably and seemed to be chuckling with glee cheesacre was so astounded so lost in amazement that the creature whom he had fed whom he had bribed with money out of his own pocket should thus turn against him that for a while he could not collect his thoughts or find his voice wherewith to make any answer it occurred to him immediately that belfield was even now at this very time staying at his house that he cheesacre was expected to drive him belfield back to oilymead to his own oilymead on that very evening and as he thought of this he almost fancied that he must be in a dream he shook himself and looked again 
and there sat Belfield eyeing him through the bright colour of a glass of port. Now I've told you a bit of my mind, cheesy my boy, continued Belfield, and you'll save yourself a deal of trouble and annoyance if you'll believe what I say. She doesn't mean to marry you. It's most probable that she'll marry me, but at any rate she won't marry you. Do you mean to pay me my money, sir? said Cheeseacre, at last, finding his readiest means of attack in that quarter. Yes, I do. But when? When I've married Mrs. Greenow, and therefore I expect your assistance in that little scheme, let us drink her health. We shall always be delighted to see what our house, Cheesy, my boy, and you shall be allowed to hack the hams just as much as you please. You shall be made to pay for this, said Cheeseacre, gasping with anger, gasping almost more with dismay than he did with anger. All right, old fellow, I'll pay for it with the widow's money. Come, our half hour is nearly over. Shall we go upstairs? I'll expose you. No, now, don't be ill-natured. Will you tell me where you mean to sleep tonight, Captain Belfield? If I sleep at Oilymead, it will only be on condition that I have one of the mahogany-furnitured bedrooms. You'll never put your foot in that house again. You're a rascal, sir. Come, come, Cheesy. It won't do for us to quarrel in a lady's house. It wouldn't be the thing at all. You're not drinking your wine. You might as well take another glass, and then we'll go upstairs. You've left your traps at Oilymead. Not one of them you shall have till you've paid me every shilling you owe me. I don't believe you've a shirt in the world beyond what you've got there. It's lucky I brought one to change, wasn't it, Cheesy? I shouldn't have thought of it, only for the hint you gave me. I might as well ring the bell for Jeanette to put away the wine if you won't take any more. Then he rang the bell, and when Jeanette came, he skipped lightly upstairs into the drawing-room. Was he here before today? said Cheeseacre, nodding his head at the doorway through which Belfield had passed. Who? The captain. Oh, dear, no. The captain don't come here much now. Not to say often by no means. He's a confounded rascal. Oh, Mr. Cheeseacre, said Jeanette. He is, and I ain't sure that there ain't others nearly as bad as he is. If you mean me, Mr. Cheeseacre, I do declare you're a-wronging me. I do indeed. What's the meaning of his going on in this way? I don't know nothing of his ways, Mr. Cheeseacre, but I've been as true to you, sir, so I have, as true as true. And Jeanette put her handkerchief up to her eyes. He moved to the door, and then a thought occurred to him. He put his hand in his trousers pocket, and turning back toward the girl, gave her half a crown. She curtsied as she took it, and then repeated her last words. Yes, Mr. Cheeseacre, as true as true. Mr. Cheeseacre said nothing further, but followed his enemy up to the drawing-room. "'What game is up now, I wonder?' said Jeanette to herself when she was left alone. "'They, too, will be cutting each other's throatses before they've done, and then my missus will take the survivor.' But she made up her mind that Cheeseacre should be the one to have his throat cut fatally, and that Belfield should be the survivor. Cheeseacre, when he reached the drawing-room, found Belfield sitting on the same sofa with Mrs. Greenow, looking at a book of photographs which they both of them were handling together. The outside rim of her widow's frill on one occasion touched the captain's whisker, and as it did, so the captain looked up with a gratified expression of triumph. If any gentleman has ever seen the same thing under similar circumstances, he will understand that Cheeseacre must have been annoyed. Yes! said Mrs. Greenow, waving her handkerchief, of which little but a two-inch-deep border seemed to be visible. 
Belfield knew at once that it was not the same handkerchief which she had waved before they went down to dinner. Yes, there he is. It's so like him. And then she apostrophized the carte de visite of the departed one. Dear Greenow, dear husband, when my spirit is false to thee, let thine forget to visit me softly in my dreams. Thou wast unmatched among husbands, whose tender kindness was ever equal to thine, whose sweet temper was ever so consistent, whose manly care so all-sufficient. Whilst the words fell from her lips, her little finger was touching Belfield's little finger as they held the book between them. Charlie Fairstairs and Mr. Cheesacre were watching her narrowly, and she knew that they were watching her. She was certainly a woman of great genius and of great courage. Belfield, moved by the eloquence of her words, looked with some interest at the photograph. There was represented there before him a small, grey-looking, insignificant old man with pig's eyes and a toothless mouth, one who should never have been compelled to submit himself to the cruelty of the son's portraiture. Another widow, even if she had kept in her book the photograph of such a husband, would have scrambled it over silently, would have been ashamed to show it. "'Have you seen it, Mr. Cheesacre?' asked Mrs. Greenow. "'It's so like him.' "'I saw it at Yarmouth,' said Cheesacre, very sulkily. "'That you did not,' said the lady, with some dignity, and not a little of rebuke in her tone." simply because it was never at yarmouth a larger one you may have seen which i always keep and always shall keep close to my bedside not if i know it said captain belfield to himself then the widow punished mr cheesacre for his sullenness by whispering a few words to the captain and cheesacre in his wrath turned to charlie fairstairs then it was that he spake out his mind about the captain's rank and was snubbed by charlie as was told a page or two back after that, coffee was brought to them, and here again Cheesacre, in his ill humour, allowed the captain to outmanoeuvre him. It was the captain who put the sugar into the cups and handed them round. He even handed a cup to his enemy. "'None for me, Captain Belfield. Many thanks for your politeness all the same,' said Mr. Cheesacre, and Mrs. Greenow knew from the tone of his voice that there had been a quarrel. Cheesacre, sitting then in his gloom, had resolved upon one thing— or i may perhaps say upon two things he had resolved that he would not leave the room that evening till belfield had left it and that he would get a final answer from the widow if not that night for he thought it very possible that they might both be sent away together then early after breakfast on the following morning for the present he had given up any idea of turning his time to good account he was not perhaps a coward but he had not that special courage which enables a man to fight well under adverse circumstances he had been cowed by the unexpected impertinence of his rival by the insolence of a man to whom he thought that he had obtained the power of being always himself as insolent as he pleased he could not recover his ground quickly or carry himself before his lady's eye as though he was unconscious of the wound he had received so he sat silent while Belfield was discoursing fluently, he sat in silence, comforting himself with reflections on his own wealth and on the poverty of the other, and promising himself a rich harvest of revenge when the moment should come in which he might tell Mrs. Greenow how absolutely that man was a beggar, a swindler, and a rascal. And he was astonished when an opportunity for doing so came very quickly. Before the neighboring clock had done striking seven, Belfield rose from his chair to go. 
he first of all spoke a word of farewell to miss fairstairs then he turned to his late host good night cheesacre he said in the easiest tone in the world after that he pressed the widow's hand and whispered his adieu i thought you were staying at oileymead said mrs greenow i came from there this morning said the captain but he isn't going back there i can tell you said mr cheesacre oh indeed said mrs greenow i hope there is nothing wrong all as right as a trivet said the captain and then he was off i promised mamma that i would be home by seven said charlie fairstairs rising from her chair it cannot be supposed that she had any wish to oblige mr cheesacre and therefore this movement on her part must be regarded simply as done in kindness to mrs greenow she might be mistaken in supposing that mrs greenow would desire to be left alone with mr cheesacre but it was clear to her that in this way she could give no offence whereas it was quite possible that she might offend by remaining a little after seven mr cheesacre found himself alone with the lady i'm sorry to find said she gravely that you two have quarrelled mrs greenow said he jumping up and becoming on a sudden full of life that man is a downright swindler oh mr cheesacre he is he'll tell you that he was an Ingerman, but i believe he was in prison all the time the captain had been arrested i think twice and thus mr cheesacre justified to himself this assertion i doubt whether he ever saw a shot fired he continued he's none the worse for that but he tells such lies and then he has not a penny in the world how much do you suppose he owes me now however much it is i'm sure you are too much of a gentleman to say well yes i am said he trying to recover himself but when i asked him how he intended to pay me what do you think he said he said he'd pay me when he got your money my money he couldn't have said that but he did mrs greenow i give you my word and honour i'll pay you when i get the widow's money he said you gentlemen have a nice way of talking about me when i am absent i never said a disrespectful word about you in my life mrs greenow or thought one he does he says horrible things what horrible things mr cheesacre oh i can't tell you but he does what can you expect from a man as that who to my knowledge won't have a change of clothes to-morrow except what he brought in on his back this morning where where is he to get a bed to-night i don't know for i doubt whether he's got half a crown in the world poor belfield yes he is poor but how gracefully he carries his poverty i should call it very disgraceful mrs greenow to this she made no reply and then he thought that he might begin his work mrs greenow may i say arabella mr cheesacre but mayn't i come mrs greenow you know well enough by this time what it is i mean what's the use of shilly-shallying shilly-shallying mr cheesacre i never heard such language if i bid you good-night now and tell you that it is time for you to be home shall you call that shilly-shallying he had made a mistake in his word and repented it i beg your pardon mrs greenow i do indeed i didn't mean anything offensive shilly-shallying indeed there is very little shall in it i can assure you the poor man was dreadfully crestfallen so much so that the widow's heart relented and she pardoned him it was not in her nature to quarrel with people at any rate not with her lovers i beg your pardon mrs greenow said the culprit humbly it is granted said the widow but never tell a lady again that she is shilly-shallying and look here mr cheesacre if it should ever come to pass that you are making love to a lady in earnest i couldn't be more in earnest said he 
that you are making love to a lady in earnest talk to her a little more about your passion and a little less about your purse now good night but we are friends oh yes as good friends as ever cheesacre as he drove himself home in the dark tried to console himself by thinking of the miserable plight in which belfield would find himself at norwich with no possessions but what he had brought into the town that day in a small bag but as he turned in at his own gate he met two figures emerging one of them was laden with a portmanteau and the other with a hat-case it's only me cheesy my boy said belfield i've just come down by the rail to fetch my things and i'm going back to norwich by the nine twenty if you've stolen anything of mine i'll have you prosecuted roared cheesacre as he drove his gig up to his own door End of chapter 40. Recording by Sage Turtle of QuirkyNomads.com.